What's up, you beauties? Welcome to High and Wide Radio, episode 8 of season 6. I'm your host, Jim Eichelbaum, joined by the one and only Jack Smith. We'll be joined by special guest Charlie O'Connor in just a little bit. If you're watching us live on YouTube, make sure you're subscribed and set an alert for future shows. And if you're listening as a podcast, please make sure you're listening and subscribed on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to get notifications for future episodes the minute we upload them. All right, boys and girls. So obviously the hot topic is Morgan Frost once again benched. Obviously, the title of the episode is Frost Bitten, and we've talked about Frost throughout his career ad nauseum, in my opinion, Um, and never for, I mean, briefly for the right reasons. You know, at the end of last season, uh, we've heard a lot, you know, 40 points in his last 55 games, stuff like that. This season's off to a weird start, Jack. I think there was an argument that, you know, for whatever reason, he was benched the first time. I think it was six games. Um, there was an argument that, not that it was warranted, but you can understand why. And I think Tortorella's argument or reasoning was because the team was playing well and he didn't want to disrupt the play. Um, so... Now it's happened again. The team goes out west, right? Their west coast trip while the, uh, what the hell is it called? The uh, ice capades or whatever is in town. First game against the San Jose Sharks who have given up 20 goals in their last two games on pace to be one of the worst teams in NHL history. As we all know by now, Morgan Frost um, feasts on the lesser NHL teams. And so we can look at this a couple ways, Jack. This would have been the perfect game to get Morgan Frost on the score sheet. He's looked good in the last couple games he's been in, as has been noted. Um, He's been creating scoring chances, which is what you want from a player like Morgan Frost on a team with the Flyers, who have players that can put the puck in the net. Um, This would have been a game to to get his confidence going. I would say that he's already confident judging by his, his play in the last few games, but this would have been a game where, you know, you see him shine a little bit on the other hand. And I'll speak for myself here. If Morgan Frost would have gone out tonight, Jack and had a four point night to me, it wouldn't have meant Jack shit because he, we've seen him do it against lesser teams. We've already seen that. We know that he can put up four points against the Coyotes or he can put up four points against the Sharks. We know that he can do that, right? I want to see him do it against teams like the Carolina Hurricanes, against the New York Rangers, the Islanders. I want to see Morgan Frost show up against those teams. If he, can, if, if he played tonight, Jack, and put up four points against the Sharks, that would not have moved the needle for me one bit. Would it have done anything for you? I totally understand what you're saying about Frost in a single-game perspective and whatnot and how it could make Torts look stupid or something of that nature. When I look at it from a team perspective, one, sitting Frost in general, regardless of what you had just said, seemed pretty unfair to me. 
I get the first six games to an extent. It was getting a little out of hand. They brought him back in. I was thinking, we're okay, we can move past this. We can go forward. He's played well. He's done nothing but generate scoring opportunities, which is what he's supposed to do. Nobody on the team has done anything for this horrible power play. We can't pin it on him. However, a game like this, including him, you would hope could jumpstart that power play, and he should be a big part of that. Now, I understand what you're saying about if he gets the individual points, um, you know, he could use that. Oh, look what he did. I I get that, but I think the other aspects are more important. And for him to get going, he's got to play. I mean, he can't be benched and then playing and then benched again. I understand they're going against an 0-10-1 and and team, but he's got to play. And there was no reason to take him out. You can juggle it a different way. And the, most of the reason I said that is this organization, we know the coach probably has, but if this organization, for whatever reason, has truly soured on Frost, don't devalue your own asset. To me, that is just silly. It's stupid. Um, and this would be a great game, if anything, to potentially showcase him. And then if he gets a goose egg, like then Torts has like something, has an actual leg to stand on here for any potential benchings going forward. But he doesn't even get that chance. So I I get where you're coming from a little bit, but at the end of the day, I look at the entire team, the power play, the issues they have, the lack of center depth they have. And it's very mind boggling to me that he would be benched of all people. And it's, I just don't get it anymore. Before I was behind him. I'm like, he's a coach. Morgan Frost doesn't exactly strike me as somebody who's just hits the ground running when spring training comes around. We've had interviews with former players, former prospects who have kind of alluded to he's a little aloof at times. You know, you can grow out of that and, you know, you can show that you really care and whatnot. But like I got, I search for reasons why this is happening to frost and it has to be something else beyond the scenes as well because it can't just be his play on the ice since returning what do he play two three games he's been fine i know he doesn't have any points but he's a playmaker and he's created plays it's i'm sorry that guys haven't finished and sometimes you tip your hat to the goalie you know sometimes your team just isn't as good like you look at the game against la I don't think they particularly played badly. I think that they had some certain players who we should talk about. Uh, Cam York had some mental lapses that led to what probably could have been a close, closer game leading to a blowout. And those mental lapses, the lack of the power play just being completely useless. And then thought out the Kings are just bigger and better than they are, you know, and it just feels like all this has fallen in Frost's lap in some regard as a scapegoat of, of some way. And I don't get it. I just don't get it. Yeah. It doesn't really make sense to do it twice. And as I mentioned, you know, you could find arguments for why you agreed with it or disagreed with it the first time this time. And I'm not, I'm not over here rah, rah and saying he needs to be in the lineup, blah, blah, blah. I just don't care enough about uh, Morgan Frost, just to put it bluntly. You know, if they traded him tomorrow, I wouldn't be upset. You know what I mean? However, I think he needs to be in the lineup. It doesn't make sense to put him in for however many games and then to take him right back out. Um, It just doesn't make sense. He didn't play bad. He didn't deserve to be taken out, in my opinion. So if guys are getting playing time based off their play, 
why isn't Morgan Frost in the lineup tonight? Um, you could you could say, and it's one of our other topics, is Sean Couturier's back. Uh, missed some time with, uh, I don't know, if I, I can't remember if they said lower or upper body. It was an, it was an injury to his body. It probably just needed some time to uh, get back to 100%. But Sean Couturier's in the lineup, and somehow that means Morgan Frost is out of the lineup doesn't it doesn't make sense and i'm sure somebody will ask uh tortorella why 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 can't morgan frost get in this lineup against the san jose sharks um as i try as i mentioned earlier i tried to play devil's advocate or i tried to get into the mind of tortorella and figure out why and like you mentioned, there's got to be something going on outside of hockey. There's just got to be something else. Or, and I'm I'm trying to find a rational reason or something that I can, you know, p- potentially understand. And that's what do you need to see from Morgan Frost against the Sharks, right? Like you, that's the only thing that I can really think of. Maybe maybe you want to see so, some stuff from Brink and Forrester against a team like the Sharks more than... Because, like, like, let's not forget, this is not a playoff team. They're not going to win the Stanley Cup. Last season was like auditions to see who's going to stick around. Maybe some of that is still going on, right? I know Frost just signed a two-year deal, but maybe Torch still wants to see what he has in guys like... I mean, I don't think Bobby Brink's going anywhere. He, he Even when he's not putting up points, I think he looks good. Um, Tyson Forrester, well-documented, yet to score. However, looks okay. I mean, he's not he's not playing bad enough to hurt the team when he's not scoring goals, um, which I think, for me personally, is the worry with a player like Morgan Frost. If he's not putting up points, does he hurt the team? Sometimes, yes. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that was the case recently, but... Um, I mean, what do you need to see out of Morgan Frost against the Sharks? So, uh, real quick, let's get to a couple comments here. We had some guys checking in. Eric Wisniewski, if we're going to trade him, got to play him. Needs five points to move the needle for me if he plays tonight. He's not playing tonight. Uh, But I think Eric's kind of agreeing with you there, Jack. Uh, We have Dave checking in. The only negative I'll give Frost is he tends to just avoid board play. He creates a lot of offense. But he's willing. His willingness to go to the shitty areas comes and goes. And for for a coach like Torts, that's gonna that's gonna piss him off, right? If if you've watched these guys in camp, um, that's something they emphasize: winning board battles, going into the dirty areas, putting your body on the line. But it's not just for you; it's for it's for the team. <clears throat> so that's that is something that I think a guy like Torts would hold against Frost. That's Slaypool checking in, Jack. Hey, guys. Slaypool, good to see you. I feel like it's been a couple weeks since we've seen you in here. Mm. Eric, one more. Torts is in love with his fourth line. That's why Frost isn't playing. And uh, I don't think Paling's done anything in the last couple games. But the games that I have that I was at, um, who the hell was it? The game they lost 5-2 against Buffalo um, and the 7-4 loss against Anaheim. I think it was the Anaheim game. I didn't see... Look, Palin's not going to light the world on fire offensively, and 
if that's the case, you can't be getting beat defensively. And he didn't look great in the Anaheim game. So uh, I, I would agree with that. Didn't they have didn't they have Lawton on the fourth line while Frost was in the lineup, Jack? Yeah, that's how they move things around. And I mean, you don't need to see a guy like Paling. Like, what what is what is he going to do? Go from a fourth liner, you know, a replacement level fourth liner to a solid fourth liner? Like, what are you gaining there? Like, having Frost out of the lineup, whether he's in your future plans or not, is starting to get silly. Now, if it's just for the Sharks game, say it is something to what you said, Jim, and he was upset about the board battle or he wants to see something. He should be back in on Friday when they play the Ducks because he was not in the lineup the last time he played the Ducks, and the Ducks made him look stupid. So you have all the reason in the world for Frost to rejoin the lineup. Um, I just I love the fourth line. It's hard. It's hard not to. I mean, Delorier is like their best statistical, not statistical, analytical player in some regards. And it's doing its job. It's also a problem within itself. Your twelfth forward is your best analytical player. Like it, that says something about the team. So why is it all falling on Frost's shoulders? Yeah, I, I just that just feels strange to me. Like Brink ain't going anywhere. Your Coots and Connectney's ain't going anywhere. Faraby, it's Tippett seems to be turning a corner a little, at least a little bit. He wasn't getting yelled at the other day, but like you know, I mean, I, you should be there should be a rotation of guys sitting and coming back in. And instead of doing that, it's just it's Frost. Frost goes out. And I was not speaking like this through the first six games he was out. I was like, he'll get back in. It'll rectify itself. And it seemed like it did. And now we're right back to square one, it seems like. And if, if it's one game, fine. It, who knows? I just It just doesn't make any sense to me. I, right. This is the year to experiment with things. But what you don't want to do is give guys that you are not in your future, like extra playing time over guys that you – even if they're not in your future, you are going to trade him for something unless you screw it up. You create a hostile environment for this player. He is going to request a trade openly. That is going to hurt your bargaining position. You're going to get less for this player. And this is all stuff you do not do in a rebuild. You do the opposite. You know, you, you showcase them. You give them the opportunity to prove that either they belong or you can pawn them off on somebody else for something. But like they're – this keeps up. They're headed for a very bad divorce that'll essentially net us a third round pick if we're lucky, which is silly. Um, now this is like the doomsday scenario. We're not there yet, but like having him exit the lineup again, makes you go like, come on, like, what are we doing here? Like, are we, these are like roster moves that we're doing that we're trying to make the playoffs or something. And I understand the coach has to coach and the players are going to play, but like your power plays horrible. Let this guy play and get going a little bit. Every game we've seen him in, he's done everything but get on the score sheet. And he can't shoot for Forrester. He can't shoot for these guys. And I, you know me, I'm not the biggest you know, Frost supporter, but this is just cross the realm of idiotic. And I don't know why. It makes no sense. So that screams something else has to be going on here because either that or I'm taking crazy pills. Like it, it, We all are. Like It just doesn't make sense. So we have a comment here, and I want to touch on this. This is from our buddy Dan. Dan, thanks for checking in. Dan comments, nine times out of ten, when there's a dragged-out negoci negotiation with an RFA, that's restricted free agent for any new hockey fans chiming in, there's bad blood, just saying. So I had heard uh, recently, and I, I believe um, – I don't know if he, if he wants me uh, – kind of putting his name out on the air with this. Um, but I'll just, I sit next to Colin Newby up in press row. And uh, we, we were having a conversation. 
And Colin had mentioned the the Flyers wanted to extend, I believe it was Cam York and Noah Cates. They had to resign over the summer, right, Jack? Mm-hmm. They wanted to give them more than two-year deals. And the players, I think, wanted the two years. You know, for the cap, the salary cap and whatnot, it's going to go up. I think they said in, in two years or something. So it made sense from their perspective. Morgan Frost, on the other hand, the Flyers did not offer more than a two-year deal. Uh, which is interesting. You know, maybe it shows, hey, they don't 100% believe in this guy. They don't really know if they want him here past two years. Um, I, I thought a two-year deal was perfect for him because he did show, you know, he did flash uh, towards the end of last year. The numbers were always a little bit inflated. However, points against NHL teams are still points. Doesn't matter how good or bad, I guess. Um, but they are a little bit deceiving, the numbers. So when you hear, you know, 40 points in 55 games or you led the team in scoring, you know, three-fourths uh, of the season, little deceiving. Um, there was an article, I think, that our, our guest coming on, Charlie O'Connor, put out. I think it was over the summer. And more than half of Morgan Frost's points from last season came against bottom-tier teams. And it wasn't just a little bit more than half. It was like two-thirds, you know. Um, so it's something – It's look, there are points against NHL teams – but it's something to keep an eye on. And part of that, and it's not that he deserves to be benched because I, I disagree with the benching. I'll say it again. But if you're John Tortorella, what do you need to see from Morgan Frost against the Sharks? You know that he can put up points against the Sharks. Who gives a shit if he can put up points against the Sharks, right? They're giving up 10 goals a game, right? Because you know what's going to happen. Frost puts up four or five points. All the fanboys, fangirls on Twitter, see, look, look what happens when guys can finish, right? Forgetting to leave out that it's against the Sharks, yada, yada. Um, I, so let's see it against the good teams, Morgan. Like, I, So I'm, I'm just trying to understand why he would take him out against the Sharks, why it has to be Frost. That's all. Um. But an interesting tidbit there, and I'm uh, Colin. I, if you're listening, hey, how's it going, buddy? I know he, he listens. He always mentions up in the press row. We got to get him back on, Jack. Um, but interesting tidbit there. Maybe it shows lack of faith in, in Frost, whereas they were tempting to get Cates and uh, Yorkie uh, signed a little longer term. And we'll talk about Noah Cates in just a little bit when our guest joins us because uh, he's kind of flying under the radar, Jack. Not. I mean, there's a lot of flyers that are playing well. Noah Kate's flying under the radar. Maybe he's getting the benefit of the doubt. I'm not sure, but we'll talk about that. Um, this is why I don't want to sign any of these guys yet. Like, everybody's so quick to just back up a truck of money, see, like, 12 games where they're good. Sign them long. Eight years, $7 million. I don't – I look, I'm all for getting a guy early. I've used examples in the past of when you can do that. But you have to get a larger sample size than this. I'm starting to see stupid money with certain players. You need a larger sample size. Like you're you're alluding to certain players right here. Tippett has not had the hottest start to the season. Cates has not had the hottest start to the season. Although he does offer a certain part of his game that will be good no matter what. But then what do you pay him? 
Like you have to get that number right. Otherwise you're not saving money say, uh, signing him now. You know, Frost is a, a complete conundrum. You know, so like I don't understand a lot of this. Like you, you, signing them when we signed Couturier, like he had a good four years with the Flyers under his belt, and they were all good. And even then, you got a deal. You know, he was like not even five million dollars for four more years. Like that's a good deal. They're talking about, you know, I'm sorry if I jump the, sh- the gun here, but tip it. And I don't really believe this, but. These, oh, they're in the eight. I don't know the years. It was like five or six years for six plus million dollars. He wants to hold out for seven. I'm like, oh, he's Kevin Hayes now. He's he, like, he's got playoff experience and he's scoring goals left and right. Like, come on, it was one season. Like, I need I need more sample size than that before I sign everything over because you're gonna wind up just like you did years past with these bad contracts if you're not careful. Like. We, we spent too much time waiting for these bad contracts to melt off and get rid of them and give up assets to get rid of them to just blow it all. So hopefully that's all just speculation and just feeling each other out and whatnot. And hopefully the cap eventually does go up. I've been hearing that for like six years now, you know, like legitimately goes up, not this million here, a million there, by the way, hockey, worst contract, worst cap situation in all of sports. So take that for what you will. If you screw this up, you are screwed. It is almost impossible to get out of. You're hoping for another, contract dispute with the uh, NHLPA and the NHL uh, labor negotiations, potentially a stoppage to get an amnesty buyout again to potentially get out of these bad contracts. That's pretty unlikely. So be very careful with how you spend your money and so quickly to throw around to your young players. Like, I don't like that at all. You got it. You got plenty of time to see these guys out. All these young guys should be getting right up until their final RFA year. Like you should have that negotiating one more year, then you should look to sign them long-term. Will it maybe cost you a little bit more? Probably if they play well, but then that's a good problem to have. And now, you know, they have a sustained couple of years under the belt of actually being able to stick, not going all out one year and kind of coasting the rest, getting that contract and then completely falling off, which has happened. I'm not saying that will happen with them, but you do not, do not jump the shark. It is just a bad, bad idea. And I have something for you real quick, Jack, just kind of popped up on Twitter. So, you mentioned the the Anthony DeMarco uh, article. Love Anthony uh, for Owen Tippett. Flyers are willing to sign Tippett to a long term deal. I'm going to assume the willing part is the key word there, because WD Sports and Entertainment, the agency that you know Morgan, I'm sorry, that Owen Tippett um, is under contract with, I guess has tweeted under one of these uh, one of these per yada yada accounts and they've commented there is zero truth to this report thank you oh to Anthony's thing oh geez well yeah. I mean I'll be honest with you those numbers at this time he I'm not saying tip can't be that guy like there is definitely skill with that shot there he was great last year he's my favorite young player last year uh Kate's close but still but for to those kind of numbers at this time, I'm so it's ludicrous to me. It does not make sense. So, and that's why I'm like, you know what? Like, there are certain words you got to pick out in these things just because they are. I'm going to assume that Anthony talked to somebody who, you know, knows somebody and whispered down the lane a little bit. Um, and the, the word willing. 
really doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that there are negotiations. doesn't mean there are talks. It means, I mean, what does it really mean? You know what I mean? What does it really mean? When you, when you hear the flyers are willing, I, I don't know what that, I don't know what that really means. I don't know what that means. If they're willing to, then do it. Uh, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what that means. Is there a negotiation going on or not? What is happening? Does Owen Tippett know this? Do you know what I mean? The, the, the player mentioned in the same uh, report is Brandon Hagel, who signed an eight-year extension with the Lightning worth $6.5 million. Hasn't he been – doesn't he have at least one cup under his belt? Like, what has is, what is Tippett done? His first go around with his first team didn't go so well. He put himself back in the mix to be a top six forward last year, thankfully, you know. And you know, the team still is terrible. He's not leading. I understand Lightning are much better, and they were much better, but like that's still something. Like to to be in that quality of player and already accomplish that in your career. What what? negotiating power would Tippett honestly have at this point in his career? And why would the Flyers do it? What are they saving paying so seven million now? That's what I'm thinking here. So I'm not sure how significant this cap is going to go up when it goes up, but six, seven million now might look like nothing when it does is the only thing that I can think of. I hope you you're right. I mean? so they're, maybe they're trying to get out in front of that a little bit. Cause I mean, if, if 27, are we expecting Tippett to improve on 27 goals throughout his career? Uh, absolutely. I would hope so. Okay. $6.57 million for a perennial 30-goal score a year in and year out. That's fine, I think. And if the cap goes up to whatever, then I think maybe they're looking at a deal. I don't want to call it a bargain, but it's like, okay, you know. You know what I heard Let's, a lot of? I heard a lot of what if. Well, let's, let's remember the Flyers were so bad for so long with $8 million wingers, $9 million wingers, whatever it was. Yeah. So if they, if they can get Tippett under control for, I don't know what you said, it was six to eight years, something like that. Uh, there's no years in the, uh, that I okay. see. Let me see it again. All right. Let's, let's just call it, let's say six years. If they can get Tippett under control for $6.5 million to $7 million for six, seven years. Uh, that's pretty good. It, it could be. I mean, he, he guy's got to do more for me. He's got a slow start to the season. Uh, it's it's the only years I see is Brandon Hangel's eight years, which is a ton. And I understand it's a young man's game. You don't want to have him play well, then sign him for seven to eight years. But like, that's a lot of money. I don't believe Gary Bettman in this cap. I've been hearing the cap's been going up by this date, this much, this date. It goes up a mil maybe each year. So I'll believe it when I see it. I think the Flyers have to take the same approach. And yeah. when I look at the prospects that are coming in, when I look at who, who they already have signed, the fact that Tippett's a winger, like there's a lot of factors here. I, and at the end of the day, for me, it comes down to sample size. And I need significantly more if we're talking that kind of money at this these kind of years. So, and you have that, you got, you should have two more years to really see what you have. I, I'm not going to say I'm not impressed, but 
I was hoping he'd have a faster start to the season. Maybe he gets going. Got to watch tonight. See what's up. He should be – the power play sucks. He's a guy who should easily improve your power play. I understand that you need the Morgan Frosts of the world to make things happen, and he shouldn't be playing net front presence, by the way. That was goofy. Um, but, you know, Tippett should be a guy who's, you know, he's potting goals. He's he's making your power play better. Right now, I think San Jose is the only worst power play. And they're historically one of the worst teams to ever, at this time, uh, grace the NHL. So I'm going to need to see more before we're even having this conversation. So real quick, because I thought that was maybe a little interesting, right? It was weird that Morgan Frost was playing net front on the power play, right? Couldn't but, tell you isn't net front considered a dirty area to play in? Yeah. Like that's a that's one of the dirty areas. It's supposed to be. I wonder if that's kind of Tortorella saying, go do it. Now you're forced to play in the dirty spot. You cannot avoid it. Play in it. I wonder. I and I think I think we just cracked the code, Jack. I think we got it. I wonder if that's it. And I think Dave was, you know, kind of put us on this path a little bit. I wonder if that's really it because it didn't make sense that he was playing net front. But I wonder if it's kind of like, and not even an FU, but this is where I, these are the areas where you need to play better in. This is where I want you to play and not necessarily net front, but in the corners, yada, yada, along the boards. I wonder if that was a message being sent to the player. This is where I need you to be better. I want you. Don't be, don't shy away from physicality. Play better in the dirty air. I don't know. Just assuming, but that didn't make sense to a lot of people. But if you piece some of the stuff together along the way, maybe we're finding out what the personal problem is with Torts and Frost. Maybe that's it. I don't know. We'll see. So just, uh, I thought that was interesting. For, okay. So for me, that I could get on board with that if like, the coach is supposed to put his players in position to succeed. Yes. And I, I do understand what you're saying, but can he succeed first and then maybe work on that? Like to just like turn the game on hard mode right away. It's kind of stupid. Like why is he doing that? That screams to me more grudge than anything. And I don't know maybe. why. And sure. Maybe. You might want to toughen him up. I, I, or, you know, make him do things. He get him out of his comfort zone. I can understand that, but Christ, can you let him do what he knows how to do first then we can work on that. He's been back three, four games. That's it. It's not like it was 25 games he played. Like, it's he just got back. He's not even in a rhythm yet. And he's still playing pretty well. So, like, that's why I don't get it. It's, it's, I, I can't, I get what you're saying, but I can't get there yet because it's, it's just, it feels like he's straight up screwing with the kid because it's so early with his return. And that to me is baffling. It's baffling for two reasons. One, I don't know what you're doing with the player. And from a management perspective, you're not making the asset look good if he ain't going to be with you, which means you're going to get less of a return. And then when you do trade him, and God forbid somebody puts him in a position where he is supposed to exceed and he does good playing with better players, then it comes back to bite your ass, which just makes you look stupid at the end of the day. Hey, I don't disagree with any of that. (laughs) But – like we're trying to figure out what the what the issue is, and uh, sounds like we're grasping at straws, Jim. Well, you yeah, know, we're trying to piece together a puzzle because we're trying to find an answer. It doesn't it doesn't make sense, and uh, it's not like we can go ask Torts. And even if yeah. we could, you know what I mean? He was, he's not going to tell you the yeah. not going to tell you the truth. Outstands, yeah. So, um, I think 
here's what I think. I don't think Tortorella is looking at Morgan Frost like an asset. I think he's looking at him like, I need this player to be this way. I know that he can be this player. I, I need him to be this player or he's not playing. And uh, yeah, maybe it is a coach versus player thing. Is it personal? I still don't think so. I think it's coach versus player. It's it's business. It's I'm trying to make you a better player. I need you to do these things. If you're not comfortable doing them, you need to get comfortable doing them. He's not comfortable playing in front of the net. Maybe he's not comfortable playing along the boards in the dirty spots. Get comfortable. Because if I guess, I'm, I guess, Jack, if you want to play for Torts and your team, you need to get in those areas, I guess. Um, comment here from Danny, and it's a, it's a pretty great point. I'm sorry, Eric. Danny would play in the dirty areas. Giroux would uh, play in the dirty areas. Frost can, yeah. Um, so I, I would say that Frost is – I don't want to call him – Danny Breer, but he's more similar, um, not even type of player, but similar. Uh, what's the word, Jack? Is it attitude? Um, just a similar air. Like maybe he's a little bit more softer spoken kind of thing. Um, you're not going to see Danny Breer laying anybody out. You know what I mean? And I don't think we're going to see that from Frost. But Danny, Danny had edge. Uh, Frost, exactly. Yeah, he does, Frost doesn't have edge. Exactly that. And so – Maybe Danny Briere is on this in on uh, is on it in on this a little bit. Do you know what I'm saying, Jack? Maybe they're trying to bring that out of him. Like, let's not forget Torts. That's what he does. He tries to rip it out. He knows you have it in you, but he needs to see it. And we're not in the Morgan Frost is not a rookie. He's not a prospect. He's not in his second, third, fourth year. It needs to start happening. There's no more chances, kind of thing, right? And uh. It's, oh, how can you get chances if you can't get in the lineup? Do it when you're in there. Make them keep you in. Does right? it, that, that's where the issue is. He has played well. It's not, he has not played bad. He, he's, would you say he did play nut front presence? How many times has he done that? He, it's not like he refused to do it. You know, uh, he did do it. And I for, see if he, if he was doing this to him and he wasn't producing, we were arguing about, wow, Morgan Frost has zero points right now. I can't believe this. That's not where he removed him from the lineup. And it's like, Jesus Christ, like everything that you need to do. And I, I, you can bring up the comments in the chat because I think they're good. I don't necessarily disagree, but from a coaching perspective, I would get a guy going first before I started making him do those things. He's not comfortable with. It really feels like there. I just, and I shouldn't have said grudge. Cause you're right. That's not torch. Torch doesn't do that. In my opinion, does not do that. I think he tries to get something out of somebody. When we have these long winded conversations about things, I'm like, we're going to watch the 30 for 30 in 20 years about the, how the flyers won the cup and how they made frost this monster. And, um, it's going to come back to this crap is where it's going to start where everybody's just goofy. Cause those are the best stories are always like that. However, while we're here, not almost none of it makes sense except for that part. But I feel like there's an order of things. Get confidence in the guy, like, you know, have him come back and play more than a couple of games to get back into the swing of things. We always said there's a game playing shape. Now he wasn't hurt, but still like you have to, there's a speed of the game. You're getting back into it. He's played well. He's created chances. He's a playmaker. He's done that. Then maybe he gets on the score sheet or has a couple of feel good games maybe against a bad team. I know what you're saying about that, but just roll with this. 
you know, and then then when things are going good, when the power play starts to get improved a little bit, which is something they need to do, and maybe some other guys get going, his playmaking ability gets Tippett scoring more goals, gets Forrester his first goal, things of that nature. Then maybe you can start doing this stuff. Then maybe you can say, okay, we, we need more out of you now because this is what you're supposed to do. But if you want that big contract, I need you to go to gritty areas. I need you to do this. I need you to I need you to do whatever the team needs you to do. But before we get there, he needs to do what he can do. And to be in and out of the lineup, it doesn't help anybody. It, right now, it does not help anybody. If we were on step two or three of this, of what you're saying, which I think is step three-ish, you know, okay. But we're not there. He's got to get his wings under him. He's, he's just, I think everything's all discombobulated at this point, and it's just not going well. Yeah, I would say that it's definitely not a great look for anybody involved. Doesn't look good for Morgan Frost. Doesn't look good for Tortorella because you know, you know, all of his critics can't wait to start barking about you know how he's this and that. Um, I don't think it looks great for Danny Briere. Doesn't look good for the Flyers right now. Um, benching Morgan Frost a second time. You know, so um, I think that's what yeah. different is this was this i was i was with it and this this makes me go what the what the yeah, what's going on yep we have clive moss moon hopping in the chat here first time i think we've seen clive um so clive thanks for hopping in buddy good to see you hopefully you stick around and uh watching future shows so let's kind of move the conversation just a little bit uh our guest will be joining us within the next five minutes uh, we mentioned Sean Couturier is back in the lineup tonight. Carter Hart is out. He did travel with the team to California, which is a good thing. Um, what I thought was, and nothing about an injury is funny, Jack, by the way, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. They didn't say exactly what the injury was. To me, it looked like lower back or more down towards his hips a bit. Um, after he was hurt, he was kind of flexing. Um but what was funny was the night before Hart got hurt, they had sent Sandstrom down in his conditioning stint. Hmm. And the Flyers were carrying three goalies up until that day. Um, so now they had to call up, who is it, Cal Peterson's his name? Why do I forget his first name right now? Um, and he proceeds to give up, what, five goals um, against the Kings, his former team. So um, that was brutal. Um, but Urson will be handling the starting goalie duties uh, tonight and one would assume for the foreseeable future. Our guest did just join us. So we're going to bring in Mr. Charlie O'Connor in just a minute. Hey, Charlie, what's going on, man? Hey, how's it going, guys? Thanks for having me. Sorry I'm Dude. a little late. No, all good. Thanks for taking the time. We appreciate you hopping on. So uh, we just finished up our long Morgan Frost discussion. I don't know if you wanted to <laughs> chime in on that before uh, we get to the topics we sent earlier today. Morgan Frost not in the lineup tonight. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, actually, the reason why I'm running a little late is I just finished publishing an article with all of my thoughts on the decision <laughs> to scratch him. And I would say, in uh, in general, they are not positive. Uh, <laughs> look, I was, I would say I was accepting, I didn't love it, but I was accepting of the initial decision at the start of the year to scratch him after two games. I didn't think he played well in those two games, and I understood how. You know, you scratch a guy, you play really well against Vancouver, you play really well against Edmonton, then it becomes, yeah, we don't want to change things up. We like the four core as is. I understood why that lasted as long as it did. Now you're entering a situation where you've scratched him again after bringing him back in the lineup for four games. And honestly, I think he's played pretty well in these four games. Like to me, his biggest issue 
has been his primary line mate is Tyson Forrester, who just can't buy a goal. Like he's setting up a guy who is just snake bitten. And if Tyson Forrester wasn't snake bitten, Morgan Frost would probably have two or three points at this point. So to me, now you're you're going to be through 13 games after tonight's game. And Morgan Frost is going to have been a scratch for seven of those 13 games. And I freely admit that I am not a huge Morgan Frost fan. Like I, I, it's not that I don't like him. It's that I don't necessarily think he fits the future of this team, but I want this season to be the flyers giving him a chance to show that he can. And what I'm seeing is a team that just isn't even giving him a chance. Like if, if this year finishes, if they gave him 82 games and he finishes with, you know, 40 ish points again, you know, doesn't take a step up defensively or anything like that. Then I say to myself, you know what? We gave him a shot. And if he doesn't have it, if he's just not going to be a high-end offensive player, then you can, with a clear conscience, trade him away in the offseason. But if you're not even giving the guy a shot, then what are we actually doing here, especially when this season is supposed to be about rebuilding? It's supposed to be about finding out who fits and who doesn't. It just seems like the coach has made a decision that he doesn't think Morgan Frost fits. And he's just trying to kind of force it down everybody's throat. And, and that's my, I was going back and forth with Jim about pretty much exactly everything you had just said. And Jim, I'll give him credit. He was trying to find, you know, the certain little <laughs> could be this could be that. I hope he throws a couple of them at you, but like, I was kind of behind it the first time too. Like I was like, look, it's early in the season where this is the season to experiment, do this, do that. See certain guys. He makes his way back in the lineup. He's done nothing but create chances can't score for some of these guys and that's a whole separate thing and the second something else goes wrong he's he's the odd man out like i mean how are you supposed to get back in the lineup and get yourself going how are you supposed to attempt to improve on this pretty (laughs) bad penalty uh power play rather excuse me who you are playing him as a net front presence mind you uh like what is the plan here why are we why is this guy playing this game on hard for some reason, like I, I was behind you at first, but after this, now it's kind of like, what is it? And then from an organizational standpoint, like you said, if you trade him in the offseason, well, now where's his value now? If, if yeah. you know he's disgruntled, teams are already, you know, like vultures. Hey, you read anybody else's blog? Well, is Frost available? I'm sure he is. Like, what are, <laughs> yeah. we, what are we doing here? Like, it feels, I, it's so discombobulated. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills and I just, Jim, hit him with what you were telling me earlier. I want to see if there's any thread that could be potentially true here. Well, so the way my mind works is I try to find the reasons why. Like, what could <laughs> what could the what could be the reason why you would put a kid back in? I mean, a guy back in the lineup for three, four games. He plays well, and why would you bench him against a team like the Sharks? Why would you do that? All right. And so I'm trying to put myself in John Tortorella's shoes here, trying to think the way he thinks. And, you know, you put out an article, I think it was over the summer, showing where the majority of Morgan Frost's uh, points came from last year, right? And they were against more lower-tier NHL teams. So, okay, so they're going in to play the Sharks tonight. What do you need to see out of Morgan Frost against the Sharks? You know that he's capable of putting up points against these type of teams. They've given up 20 goals in their last two games. You're not going to see anything from Frost tonight that you haven't already seen. So, I don't know. Uh, maybe you want to see more out of Forrester. Maybe you want to see more out of Brink. Uh, maybe Paling hasn't done anything to come out of the lineup. I'm not sure. Um, I'm not agreeing. Like, don't uh, 
I don't want to confuse you thinking that I agree with why they're taking him out. I'm trying to just find a way that find a reason why. Um, then the other thing was, yeah, he was playing net front presence, which why is Morgan Frost playing net front on a, on a power play? Um, maybe there's an argument that Tortorella wants to see more out of Frost in the dirty areas and putting him net front on the power play kind of forces him to play in that dirty area. Like you're not escaping the area now you're stuck there. Like that's where you're playing on the power play. So that's just me trying to come up with reasons. I don't know if conspiracy or, you know, I just, we're just kind of talking, trying to figure stuff out. I mean, what do you think about those things? Anything? Yeah. I mean, we're just spitballing here because it does seem so nonsensical. I guess I'll start with the dirty areas thing. Like honestly, James, you might be right. Like, that could be the the impetus behind them trying him out at that front because John Tortorella wants him to be a little bit more of a greasy goal kind of guy. My issue with that is that that's just not Morgan Frost. And I don't think every player has to be a greasy goal player. Like Morgan Frost is a playmaker. He is a pure passer. Can he score a bit? Sure. I mean, we've seen some really nice goals from him around the net. And would I like to see a little bit more of that? Yeah, I would because I think he's got the hands to be able to do it in close. But at his core, he's a passer. He's a guy who sets up goal scorers. And if you're trying to change him, like change who he is at this point, to me, that's like at this point, when a guy's 24 or 25 years old, I'm more about fostering what he's good at Mm -hmm. rather than taking what he's clearly bad at and being like, no, you have to do this now. Like that's something you do to a 20 year old or a 21 year old. You try to rebuild their game or whatever. To me, this is about making Frost a better version of himself, not about changing who he is. And then with regards to the the question about competition, you know, maybe, maybe they think that, but my response to that would be twofold. Number one, if you do think that this guy could still be part of your future, if you're high enough on him that you're not willing to trade him yet. You still think he can be part of it. Why wouldn't you want to use a game against a bad team to get him some confidence offensively? Then he can use as a springboard going into two games this weekend against a surprisingly decent Anaheim team and a legitimately really good LA team. Like why wouldn't you want to give him the game with the training wheels so that then he has, he's feeling a little bit better for the bigger games. And by the same token, if you aren't sold on him, if you've pretty much made quietly, not told anybody, but you've made the decision in your head that this guy can't be part of it. He just doesn't have it. He's not, he's not Torts' kind of guy. He's not the Flyers brain trust kind of guy. And that's your decision. That's fine. But to me, this is the kind of game that you want to play him in because you want to give him a chance to up that trade value so you can get rid of him for something of value that you could actually use in your future. Like this is a, they're playing against a team that's given up 10 goals in two consecutive games. Like this is the game where he could rack up three or four points. And then when you're shopping him come February, his numbers look a little bit better. I mean, it's true. True. It doesn't make sense not to play him, but <laughs> that's how my mind is like, okay, I'm maybe I'm missing something. Like what could it, what could it be? So, um, yeah. Okay. So let's move on a little bit here. So I sent you a couple topics here and I got to credit our analytics guy, Paul Pollock for digging some of this up. Um, so we had conversations, I think it was last week that the Flyers play. I think you actually brought it up on Twitter as well, yeah. Charlie. Flyers play styles changed a little bit. Um, and Paul found for us that the Flyers rush chances and zone entries are up this year. Um, 
did the Flyers in fact in fact change their play style? And who gets the credit for that? They they absolutely did. And I actually did a a big feature on this last week. It's free at allphly.com. So check that out. Um, I tracked all of the games that by now, when I did the piece, I'd only tracked eight of ten. Now I've tracked all the games they played. And their entries, both you know, with possession of the puck and without possession of the puck, to see to see what kind of changes have been made. And last year, the Flyers, in terms of their five-on-five zone entries, they only entered the offensive zone with possession of the puck about like 42, 43 percent of the time. This year, they're up to over 50 percent. Like we're talking about a near 10 percentage point boost in terms of how often they're they're gaining the zone with possession. They're definitely playing a more rush-oriented game a less dump and chase oriented game. And John Tortorella has been open about the fact that that is intentional, that he is telling his players regularly that he wants them to take more risks. And more importantly, what he's really telling them is that if you take a risk by trying to carry the puck into the zone and a turnover gets forced and the other team comes back the other way and gets a scoring chance, I'm not going to bench you for that. Because that I think, like I think the the emphasis last year on dump-ins over carry and entries it was less about X's and O tactics, you know, because offensively, yeah, they practice breakouts, they practice neutral zone routes. But to me, it was less about X's and O's and more about incentives. And if you're playing for a coach who is going to bench you, if you make a turnover in the neutral zone, you're going to be more likely when you're going through the neutral zone, if there's any chance that you're going to get stripped of that puck, you're just going to dump it past the defenseman that you're looking at and try to chase it down because that's the safer play. And because you're afraid that if you turn the puck over by trying to carry it in, coach is going to yell at you. Coach is going to chew you out in, in a video session the next day, or coach is going to let you see the ice the rest of the game. Well, this year, Tortorella is making it abundantly clear to his players that I ain't going to do that anymore. I want you guys trying to make plays and I'm not going to punish you if you try to make a play and it ends up going bad. And I think what you're seeing is you're seeing a bunch of forwards in particular, but the defensemen too, particularly Travis Sanheim, who I think is taking this very much to heart over the early stage of the season. You're seeing a bunch of guys that just have more freedom and have more confidence to go out there and try to carry the puck into the zone, try and attack off the rush, try and be more creative. And is it going to lead to some turnovers and probably some goals against? Yeah. And John Tortorella has admitted that. But his thing is that, you know what, we need to score more goals. And I think he knows that as this team gets more talented over the next few years, as they add guys like Cutter Gauthier and as they add guys like Mape Michkov, they're going to want to play a more rush-oriented game to take full advantage of their skill set. So why not get a jump on that now so that the rest of the team knows how to play like that when the really good blue-chip prospects show up and naturally want to play like that because that's the way they've always played? That's exciting for, I think, everybody involved, especially for fans, because uh, it's what we want to see, you know, and they've been a lot more, uh, they they were watchable last year. I don't want to say fun because they were so unwatchable in the past that you could actually watch them last year. This year, they worked hard they, last year. They did. And they're, they're almost fun to watch this year. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So good stuff there. Um, there is a guy that, I want to ask you about, and he has somewhat flown under the radar when it comes to criticism. And not that I enjoy criticizing players, contrary to popular belief, maybe, uh, but Noah Cates has somewhat flown under the radar and hasn't looked all that great so far this year. What have you seen from Noah Cates? 
Yeah, I, I think it's fair to criticize Noah Case to a degree. Um, last year, he really made his calling card defense. He was a really, really good defensive forward. He even got a couple scattered Selkie votes because he was that good defensively, both by the mm -hmm. eye test and the numbers. You know, He was, in Chongaturi's absence, he was the tough minute center the Flyers had. This year, the defensive play has slipped a bit. You know, really, I think it, it came to a head last week when he has two straight rough turnovers in the defensive zone in the third period in close games. They both lead to goals against, and you're like, yikes. This isn't the Noah Cates I remember from last year. So I think that, yeah, he's having some, some struggles defensively to start the year that seem uncharacteristic compared to last year. That said, and I do think this might be part of it, not all of it, but part of it, the Flyers going into the season have been encouraging Noah Cates, as they've been encouraging, like we just talked about, all the forwards, to take more risks offensively, to, to try to be you know, more creative with the puck. And I think what might be happening right now is Noah Cates is trying to, to find that balance where mm -hmm. he wants to remain a good defensive player, but he wants to open it up a little bit because he thinks he can be a better scorer at the NHL level than he was last year. And if you look at his, his offensive metrics, they're actually better than they were last year by a lot. The points maybe haven't come around yet, but if you're looking at his impact on like expected goal uh, creation, things like that, significantly better this year than last. So I think you are seeing him, him take strides in the offensive side of the, of the game. Like I think he did a really good job centering um, Bobby Brink and Joel Farabee. Now, granted those two guys were getting most of the points, but I think Cates was doing a good job of getting them in position to be creative. I think he was doing a good job offensively in that regard. Now you'll want to see him rebound defensively, but I really do think a lot of this is more him trying to find a better balance. Whereas last year it was all defense all the time. This year, it's like, okay, is that balance instead of it being 90% defense, 10% offense? You know, maybe I make it 40% offense, 60% defense. And maybe he just hasn't quite found that balance yet. So I agree with you. The defense has slipped. I'm not terribly concerned yet. I trust the player that he's going to figure it out. But I do think right now he's trying to find a better balance between defense and offense. And that's what's leading to some of the defensive mistakes that he's made so far. Fair enough. And it's early. You know, Sean Couturier's back. Maybe, like you said, he's Cates is just trying to find his sort of uh, new role. You know, they're asking for more offense out of him. Uh, maybe it's an adjustment. Uh, I just was curious because uh, he's kind of flown under the radar. Maybe he earned that a little bit, you know. Um, but it seems like guys like Tippett, Forrester, and uh, especially Froster, more so the lightning rods right now for uh, criticism or maybe more easily noticed. Um, all right, let's move on just a little bit more here. So surprising uh, pickup over the summer. Not a surprising pickup, but a player that I don't think anybody expected much out of in the Ivan Provorov deal. And I'm talking about Sean Walker. Um, I think a lot of fans saw him as a cap dump for Los Angeles. Um, we always kind of thought this was a guy that, hey, this could be a valuable player for the Flyers. Maybe not the Kings, but for the Flyers. And he's been pretty good. So far, um, I also want to bring up Nick Sealer, who uh, this is from Paul Pollock. He has good underlying numbers for the second straight year. Uh, Paul doesn't think he's a top pair guy, but both are better than expected. Um, will the trade markets reflect um, what, you know, will, will there be a market for these guys come trade deadline day? I think there should be. If the Flyers want to move one or both of them, I think there absolutely will be teams interested. Like, you know, as as Paul said, Nick Sealer was was perfectly fine last year for the Flyers. Now, 
I think he is what he is. I think he is a good third pair defenseman. He's not a guy who I want in my top four. He's certainly not a guy I want on my top pair. But if you make him your number five, if you make him your your left-handed shooting, you know, third pair defenseman, I think he could do perfectly fine in that role. And the thing that will give him, I think, significant value in the trade market come February is that he's got a really, really low cap hit. You know, this is not a guy who's going to be difficult for contending teams to fit under their cap, even if they're like tapping in a long-term injured reserve, if they don't have any cap space, if they weren't able to bank anything. Nick Sealer is going to be easy to fit. So I'm not expecting them to get, you know, a massive haul back for him, but I think they could get a mid-round pick for him. And, you know, they have so many young defensemen coming that to me, it's a no-brainer that at the deadline, you move a guy like Nick Sealer. Now, Walker's a little bit more interesting because I do think that Walker – as long as the Walker we've seen over the first 12 games of the year is the real Sean Walker, he's a guy who could have legitimate value at the deadline because he's been playing in a second pair role. He's been thriving in a second pair role. I think he's been one of the biggest surprises of the season for the Flyers. He's a right-handed shooting defenseman and his cap hits pretty reasonable. Like, do I think he's a guy who teams are going to throw a first round pick for Probably not. But honestly, like I could see a second, if he keeps this up, like, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, but the interesting part about Walker is I almost wonder if the flyers are going to at least consider the possibility of trying to work out an extension with him. And it w- I wouldn't think it would be a long, long extension. I don't think they would offer him something like five, six, seven years, but if they toss him a two, three year deal, maybe look at him as like, Hey, you can be the bridge to Oliver Bonk so that Bonk could get a few years of development down in juniors, maybe even one year in the AHL. And Walker, you know, at age 29, 30, 31, can be a perfectly solid right-handed shooting defenseman for a few years while they're moving through this, you know, we're rebuilding, but we're trying to stay competitive kind of thing. It wouldn't blow me away. Now, me personally, I would trade him. I would say, you know what? This is found money in an Ivan Provorov trade. They gave you him basically for free. And if you can squeeze another second round pick for Sean Walker, then go for it. Why not? But I, I can see how the Flyers could look at him and say, maybe he's somebody we want to keep around. So to me, Sealer is more of a no brainer. Like, are you really going to re-sign a decent third pair defenseman when you have so many young guys that are going to need that role in the coming years? Probably not. But if you see Sean Walker as a good second pair right-handed shooting defenseman, maybe you do talk to his agent and see if you guys might be able to come to common ground on a new deal. Yeah, I, I think we're both in agreement, uh, Jack and I. I mean, get the asset for him, right? If you can turn Sean Walker into a second-round pick, you, yeah. I think you need to do that. You know, <laughs> I um, don't care what the team does. You know, and until Mishkov's here, to be quite honest, like I don't want them to completely shit the bed, but like. Trade the guy. Get what you can. Enjoy the pick. Let's have a wonderful draft party. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, I, I'm. Come on. We're building assets here. It's a. It's a good problem to have. At the end of the day, trade it for what you can. If you don't get a return that you like, then maybe a talk extension. Yeah. Fair. For sure. Fair. Yeah, he's kind of for me. He's like one of those underdog guys where you want to root for him, but you can't get attached. You know that second round pick while you're rebuilding. Yeah, you get that second round pick. You never know. Um, Charlie. That's uh, all we got for you tonight, man. I want to thank you for taking the time to hang out. We know you're a busy guy. Uh, congratulations on everything you have going on with uh, PHLY, is, it, is, how, is how you say it? Yeah, yeah. I know some people call it fly. Some people yeah. call it Philly. It's, it's supposed to be said as if it's call letters, so PHLY. 
Yeah, incredible stuff you guys are doing, man. We're uh, we're all excited for you guys. Uh, great show you guys got you and Bill. Um, yeah, any any final words before we let you run? Uh, not really. I guess just yeah. You know, obviously I'm no longer at the Athletic, and my stuff, the vast majority of my stuff at, at allphly.com is free now. It's not behind a paywall. I am trying to do about like one article a week in our uh, our diehard section, which is only for for paying. Uh, paying members, but the vast majority of my stories are free now. So if you're somebody who, you know, was always kind of interested to see what I wrote, but didn't want to pay the money for the athletic, give it a go at all PHLY. Outstanding stuff, man. We'll let you run. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again soon. Take care, Charlie. All right. Thanks guys. Thanks, Charlie. There he is. The man, the legend. Um, so interesting stuff there from Charlie. Uh, what'd you think, Jack? I mean, I knew, I knew having read some of Charlie's stuff before that, how he felt about the whole Frost situation. So I wasn't too surprised. Um, I, Jim, let's be real. He kind of agreed with where I was like, maybe build his confidence, then do these other games. So it's, um, it's interesting. Uh, I don't agree. I don't agree with the benching. So uh, I mean, let's just remember that. Yes. Yes. You're right. You're right. No, I don't think it may should be playing. I'm just trying to figure out why he's not. Do except for this Clive Moss moon. I like him. He's got some stuff. (laughs) Call so you can go ahead and click the one where he says my name right there. I see it. Jack, you have to scratch a center with Coots back. Frost has been miscast as a center, so he's out. So that's the first first part of this. We already know what they'll do if they need to get Frost back in the lineup. Let's go back to the beginning of the season. There was how many people would you say were penned? into this lineup healthy coots tk you know your uh i would assume tippet you know guys like that farabee you know i think certain guys are penciled because you move them around uh line wise i think frost was pretty close to being penned into the second line center of this team whether you believe it is a center or not that's a good argument to have he has shown things and has not shown things typically your playmakers are centers um i understand the vitriol towards frost i have it myself i my thing isn't he needs to work out for this team it's if you're going to do something with him don't hurt his value you that's what that ultimately at the end of the day that's what it matters i don't i purposely personally don't care if he's a flyer if he's not a flyer what do we get for him and that that return is getting lowered every time they pull this bullshit and between benching him things of that nature, even if you're right, say you're right. And he's not a center and he's been, it's all a facade and we've been masking it. Well, don't make it obvious. Put him in a situation where it looks like he's got value, where it looks like he can provide something to anybody else. He's young enough where you can ask for a good return and get it. Don't shoot yourself in the foot. That's what I'm saying. And if they wanted to get him back in this lineup, they would easily be able to do that. There's Paling does not need to play. He doesn't like he just he, there's no long term thing with him. I don't think you're getting much for a guy like that at the deadline. So you, he you bench him, you move Lawton, boom, Frost is back in center, either second second line, third line, don't matter. It's not about Frost needs to be the Flyers' future. It's about don't hurt your asset. This is at this point you're look, making every team in the league say he's disgruntled, which he probably is. He's disgruntled. We can get him on the cheap because if, we've been in this situation before. We want somebody from another team. We're like he's disgruntled. 
We, we, we clearly want him. Pinto, he's not getting – they don't have the money. Let's swoop in. Let's swoop in and steal him. Like, other teams have the same mentality. They see what's going on here. They can't make sense of it. He needs to play for vast reasons. And it, the main one for me is the player's overall value. Because there's a lot of points that are made that I agree with about him being a center or having a future with this team. Once we trade him and get something valuable for him, then I can give a shit what happens to him. But until then, we, I, we cannot devalue our own asset. That's not what you do in a rebuild. Absolutely. Um. All right, Jack, we're coming to the end of the episode here. I don't. So I'm going to have a prospect report coming for Dauber later this week. Um, but a guy that I've been watching uh, some tape on, some film on, if you will, my scouting term there, has been Massimo Rizzo. And there's been some discussion about this player, Jack, on Twitter, and I think it's good. Um, so I won't read off the whole scouting report just yet because I want you guys to go back and read the Dauber stuff. Um, but currently, Rizzo leads the NCAA in points, Jack. The In whole? just eight games, oh. Massimo Rizzo has 17 points, 12 assists, five goals for the University of Denver. Former seventh-round pick by the Carolina Hurricanes, who the Flyers got in the Tony D'Angelo deal over the summer. Hmm. Look, I'm not going to pump this kid up, right? Um, but, you know, points are points. He's 22 years old. Like, there are some legitimate knocks on this guy. Um, 22 years old, still playing college hockey. Uh, this will be his, this is his third season with Denver. Um, 36 points in 39 games in his first season, 46 points in 38 games in the second. And he looks like he's going to shatter last year's total this season. When I watch this guy, I don't want to say he reminds me of Voracek as stylistically, but <laughs> he kind of turns it on when he wants. Like, uh, it's like, Where's Rizzo at? He's kind of just lurking around the ice. And uh, I think it was Paul that compared him to Drysidle because that's kind of how Drysidle is. You know, he just kind of lurks and then all of a sudden he turns it on. Mm. Um, in no way am I comparing a seventh round pick to uh, Leon Drysidle, but just as a comparable um, in, in play style. And then there are some highlights where it's like, holy shit, this guy's leading the rush. He's turning on the Jets. And it's like, if, if he could do that all the time, if he could play that way consistently, or at least a little bit more consistently, because some of these points, his, his point total is a little bit inflated. Like he played like against like some Alaskan team that I never heard of in my life twice and put up like eight points or something. The Morgan Frost team Alaska, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways... Um, we'll talk a little bit more about Rizzo later this week, and I'm, I'm sure on future shows because he's be he's become a discussion topic on on X, if you can I'm believe sure. that. I gotta I gotta be honest with you. You, you, you. I see him at the end of the list here. I'm all excited, and so far the names you've brought up are Morgan Frost and Jake Voracek. What are you doing to me here? I mean, the two guys that just you know it's inconsistent. Oh, that's an understatement. Not consistent, that's but title, I'll give you that. But I'm wondering though. If they can, because I'm going to assume that this kid's at least up at Lehigh by the end of this year, if not the Flyers for a handful of games. If they can kind of iron out some of the inconsistency, they may have found 
a diamond in the rough type player in Massimo Rizzo. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to pretend like I watched hours and hours and hours of this guy. But through eight games this season, Flyers may have a gem in their hands in Massimo Rizzo. Um, and credit to Danny Briere for that one. You, so you think that's a walker was free money or free ticket or whatever. Yeah. This guy for the Troy, the way that trade went down. Yeah. I'll take whatever I can get. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So there's a little, there's your prospect update there. Mosmo Rizzo this week. We'll have some more guys for you guys next week, but uh, we're coming up uh, an hour and eight minutes on the show. Uh, what do you say? We wrap this one up, Jack. I think we did good. What else is there to talk about? Yeah, good show. Thank you to our guest, Mr. Charlie O'Connor. Um, everybody, what time did the Flyers play? 10 or 10.30? 10.30. What are they going to do, Jim? Are they going to be the Sharks' first uh, victim? No, 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 no. I think this is the night that Tyson Forrester finally gets on the board. Um, Konechny maybe gets one, too. I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking like 5 to 2 or something like that. I want Tippett to get one. Yeah. I know Tippett the reports were false, but I still, I still want to see him get on the board here. Yeah, for sure. Anyone that needs to get on the board gets on there tonight, except for, unfortunately, Morgan Frost. But we'll see. We'll see how this is going to play out. Forrester, Tippett, Cates, and who else did you say? Uh, Forrester, Tippett, Cates. Uh, man, I can't remember. York's in the lineup, correct? He, I know he's benched the third period. They didn't, they yeah, didn't. he needs one. I could use one for my, my fantasy team. I just want a point. Yeah. You know, give me a point, a, a power play point. Let's get the power play going. Let's get a York assist or goal, God forbid, and one of those other guys gets a, a point too because, come on, these are all things we need here. Yep, I agree. Happens tonight. Get off the schneid. Let's go get a win over the Sharks. And uh, that's going to do it for us. 11 goals. Right. 11 goals against the Sharks. Here, Everyone's going to get one. Everybody scores. Woo-hoo. All right, we're out of here. Have 10 of them. Have fun watching the game tonight. We'll see you guys next week. Ryan Boucher. <laughs>